Hello. This is part two to my segment, Homeless Odyssey. The last time I left off, I was talking about the intake situation into Nehemiah House. How I had to go through a metal detector, place my clothes under a table, and place my personal belongings inside a small locker. Then taking a shower before I got into my scrubs. And after I get into my scrubs, they want you to go inside this room where there's like 30 other beds, bunk beds, that you have to choose for from. If you get there early, you get your pick. And if you don't, you choose the top bunk or the floor. In my case, I chose the floor. If I did not get my bed that I desired to get, not placed against the wall. And you are talking to a guy who is 370 pounds, sleep apnea, depressed, scared, full of hopelessness, doubt, worry, fear. I know it's the old cliche, everybody has a story. So this is my odyssey, my homeless odyssey. As we speak, I am sitting on a park bench on the river walk of North Little Rock, Arkansas, looking at the skyscrapers from Little Rock, Arkansas. There's the Stevenson Building, there's the Seminole First Tower, there's the Marriott, and there's the Regent Bank, and there is the Double Tree Hotel. Some of the main places and skyscrapers that are inside Arkansas itself. I am in the capital of Little Rock, Arkansas. So here is my segment on a situation that I describe as a lie. But truth be told, a homeless odyssey. In this situation, in these terms, in these circumstances, I am going to describe to you the raw truth of street life in its rawest form. And the only way I can tell the truth is to tell a lie. So my lies are my truth, and my truth are my lies. So here we go. The Homeless Odyssey, Part 2. I never forget it. I couldn't sleep. As I got out that shower and put on my scrubs and put on my shoes, here I am around people who are used to the environment, who have been in the environment all their lives. Because inside places like these, we are dealing with junkies, and ex-cons and broken people. There's nothing positive about the situation at all. All these things are coming are coming from things that we chose to do. And that's the truth. I chose to distance myself from my family. I chose to distance myself from anything 
that was anything relatable responsible. I was just trying to get by. But some reason life has its curveballs. So here I am, trying to dodge life, trying to get by, trying to make it easy, and wanted to die, and did not even want to be in a situation like this from the jump. But everything I tried to dodge, here I am, homeless. The next day I get up, so I begin to listen to the conversations again. And they wake you up at 5.15 every morning. And before 6 o'clock, you have to be out the doors. Whether it's raining, whether it's sleet, or whether it's snow, it don't matter. You have to be gone. I'm not used to this. Once again, I am a guy who has always been self-sufficient and independent and helping others. But here I am, a total 180, needing the help. In that morning, I am thinking about how can I get a job? And where is this job going to be? So I think about what I've done in the past. The thing I've done in the past, I've always worked and I've always been consistent in my working. So by sheer chance, the job I just left, the security firm I just left for like two or three months because I had a mental breakdown. When I began to hit survival mode, I thought to myself, let's go get this job back if I can. So remind you, the job that I'm trying to get, it is like five, six miles away from the place where I'm staying right now. Time is ticking. It is day two. So I have three more days to get something done. So after that, I begin to walk. So I walk all the way from near my house to North Little Rock because I'm staying on the east end of Little Rock, Arkansas. So I have to walk from near my house to North Little Rock. So I take this walk, which is about three to four miles. And before I got there, I got up early because it's 515 and the place don't open to nine. So it is during like the fall season about to hit winter. I am wearing a little jacket with no sleeves. I am in jeans and tennis shoes. I am absolutely broke. And we just had breakfast in the morning time and they serve you like you're in the prison. Everybody get in line and being served by the people who are in rehab. Well, the folks in rehab, rehab are serving the people who are on the streets and no one like each other because the ones on the street think they better. The ones in the rehab think they're better than the ones that's in the streets because they're working through their problem. Here I am a guy don't know no rules, no regulation off the streets. So I had to adjust. And the only thing saved me Partly, proportionally was I grew up so poor and this is the backdrop to my story here I am born August the 25th 1977 on a Tuesday morning 
2 o'clock in the morning. The woman who gave me birth is my mother, which is Betty Ann Covington Godbody. And let me remind you, these are all lies. And my dad is Lincoln Covington Jr., who is 30 years old. My mother is 23, and my dad is 30. I am the four of 13 kids. And I'm going to go down the line with the kids. First, we had Frankie, the Shade Covington, which is the oldest. After that, you have Veronica Yvette Covington, which is the second oldest. Then you had Joshua Andrew Covington, which is the third oldest. Then it's me, Daniel Covington. No middle name. So I got the history on my birth. I am what they call in a slang term, Irish twins. I am a guy that me and my brother Joshua, we are not even a year apart. My mother had me early, so I am a premature baby. My parents' profile and background description is this. My dad comes from a family of Abraham Lincoln Covington, and my grandmother is Evelina Jones Covington, or just Evelina Covington. Those are my grandparents. My granddad was born around 1901 and 1902. My grandmother was born around 1912, or maybe 1913. And the story goes, which I do not know which is really true, that my granddad married my grandmother at the age of 21, and my grandmother was 12. So it's a similar thing to Color Purple. If you had land in the house in those days, you could marry who you married. So age appropriation was not a reform or a law in those days. Because times were different. Long story short, my granddad had my dad in 1947. August 8th, 1947. Prior to that, he had five other daughters. So as I begin these segments, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the history. But back to the situation. I am a kid of four. I am the fourth oldest of 13. We were living in a house on Highway 49 in Phillips County, Arkansas. And in that house, we lived across the street from a church called Mount Moriah. It's a highway. And across the highway was our house. It was a one-bedroom house. It had no indoor plumbing. It had outside toilet which we call a shit house and it had a, a a pump in the old day where you push with your hand up and down and when that pump ran dry we went down to our neighbor house which was the Shathousers Miss Shathouser I never knew her first name but we went down there with milk jugs and filled the milk jugs with water to take baths and to cook with and to drink with 
My dad dropped out in the fifth grade and my mother dropped out in the 11th grade. Let me tell you again, these are all lies. This is a backdrop to my story. So here I am, a kid, coming up with nothing. No toys, but just imagination. And just taking what you got and using it. So I'm going to fast forward back to the future time and telling you the story about how I survived this homeless odyssey. I graduated from high school. I even went to college. I have my own place. I have my own crib. I am doing the average, ordinary Joe life. But to me, it is luxury. I am willing to. I am willing, and I'm able to take some responsibility of my siblings, which I've been doing all my life. And that's another story for another episode. But as we go along, here we go. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, how can I survive? So I went back into just primitive mode to kick me back into a place where I just had to take what I got and use it. So the first thing I did was walk four to five miles to this job. Ran conversation on the guy that I needed a job. And by that way, I had set it up because I knew that I needed some backdrop. The one thing I always done, I never burned my bridges when it came down to my job. I went to work, I done my job, and I left, and I told the people that I was going to leave. So when I came back, it wasn't an issue. And by the grace of creation itself, right down the street was a Kroger's. And at that Kroger's, they had the security firm and a guard working there in the old position that I used to work at. But before this position at this particular store, I worked at another store just like it in North Little Rock. So I was familiar with the situation at hand. This is part two of the Homeless Odyssey. Part two of the Homeless Odyssey. So I go back over there. They thinking I'm a bomb. They thinking that I'm a dope addict. Cause when you're homeless and you tell them your truth, people look at you a certain way. And I was fully aware of that. I didn't have time to think about that at all. In no shape, form or fashion. All I needed was a job. And this job is only paying eight fifty an hour. And the place that I stayed in was a place where you had to be in the seven. Now here comes the conflict. How in the hell I'm going to work this job? And the job that I'm working has three different shifts. A morning shift from 8 to 2. And an evening shift from 4 to 12. How am I going to make it? This is part two of the Homeless Odyssey.